Welcome, affiliated listeners. Today, we are gonna be talking about something that is a question we deal with a lot and something that I'm sure you've either asked or if you're not asking, you probably should, which is what makes a business the right business to go into affiliate marketing with specifically, or specifically, if you'd like to misspeak or <laughs> um, specifically for performance affiliates. We've yeah. talked in past episodes, there's lots of different types of affiliates. But the one that we deal with the most, and I think uh, our personal favorite, are the performance affiliates. So we're going to talk about what we think are, are really three key components to making sure that you are the right business and your business is set up for those types of affiliates. Before we jump into that, though, what I really think we should defy, define or defy, um, man, sorry, guys. <laughs> defy the Pacific <laughs> Ocean. <me> <laughs> take another sip of my coffee because apparently I'm not <laughs> quite here enough. Um, so to define is what makes a performance affiliate. What does that mean? Yeah. Is it somebody like, well, they obviously perform, but no, no, it's it's more than that. So Thomas, tell, tell the people first, I hope you're doing well, but then tell the people um, what is a performance affiliate. In my opinion, a performance affiliate is an affiliate that's very incentivized by revenue. They're very ROI, return on investment, if you will, on their time and expenses. So versus, in my opinion, like an influencer or a long tail kind of affiliate, like someone who might be a blogger who's trying to like generate side income on the side, things like that. A performance affiliate is someone going, I have an asset, which is my traffic. It's an email list. It's media that I'm purchasing on Facebook, whatever it might be what's the maximum revenue I can get with this asset? Definitely. Right. Yeah, I think a good way to think about it is a, a blogger, influencer, kind of that, it's a content-oriented affiliate. Mm -hmm. Their first focus is creating content. Versus a performance affiliate, their first focus is driving traffic. Yeah. In whatever way they're doing that, whether it's a product, whether it's media buying, it's just they are in the, the business of driving traffic, yeah. which means for your business, for your business, if you're using performance affiliates, you get a lot of traffic really fast and really profitably um, if you set it up right, which is gonna transition exactly to- How do you work well, with those yeah, people? Yeah, <laughs> am I set up right? How yeah. do I know? Can you tell me, please? So uh, let, let's jump into it. I think the first thing that, that really is key for performance marketing, and one of the things we really wanna talk about is the marketing piece, is what actually, how you market and how you advertise your product or how your product's sold. Um, and, and one of the big distinctions is when we commonly see in like the content marketing world or if you're doing brand marketing, um, you know, originally I heard it was about three to five touch points before somebody converts. And recently I've had people it's saying like 14, that now it's like, right? yeah, it's yeah. like, it's literally somewhere between 12 to 15 touch points of things that they need to consume, see your product, talk about your product, see other people talking about your product before they actually make a decision to buy. Um, versus what we see in the performance marketing world is one touch point, Whoa. maybe two. We call it day zero sales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. day zero sales. Like <laughs> yeah. it's it's so much more aggressive in terms of how they could get a conversion from mm -hmm. somebody that didn't know who you are to now they're pulling out their wallet and throwing money your way. Um, versus, you know, if it's with me, throwing money at me to get me to go away, uh, which I'm okay with. Uh, so, um, but, but realistically, that's the big change. So that doesn't mean that every single product is gonna fit into that realm. Yeah, I find, I, I'm willing to bet that you can take a look at someone's landing page and get a good gut check right away. Is this gonna work or not, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that one of the big things I look for, and I know in copywriters talk about this, like a bleeding neck problem, but it, it's the idea you know, that, that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll expand to that a little bit. Um, but to me, it's the idea of, does, is this something that's gonna generate an impulse purchase? And why I mean an impulse purchase is that it could fit in that world where I could say something that takes somebody from skepticism, lack of knowledge, whatever it might be to, I need to buy this and I need to do it right now because mm -hmm. my life will be materially different after I say yes 
versus something that might take some time and yeah, maybe I don't, maybe I don't, no, maybe I should, blah, blah, blah. So, and the idea of the bleeding neck problem is something that if your neck was bleeding profusely for whatever reason, not like a shave, right? But if you had you know a large wound there, you're going to want to probably remedy it pretty fast. Um, you might be looking for some rapid solutions beyond your own hand um, to get that <laughs> solved. Yeah. And so if you have a problem that would address that and the marketing could address that to create some urgency, you're a lot more likely to get an impulse buyer. That's why we see things um, that tend to lean towards the negative and pain-oriented products work really, really well in the performance marketing world. Um, like weight loss, uh, most time when people are overweight and they want to lose weight fast um, without much effort, that's a pretty big problem in their life. They're really looking for some sort of solution, whether it's tied to humiliation, whether it's tied to the way their body physically feels, whether it's tied to the fact that they looked in the mirror and they're like, oh no, what happened to my youth? Um, yeah. oh, that, that didn't happen to me this morning, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, those things are gonna drive a lot of emotional urgency right away. Um, and, and those are definitely things that you look for in products. I mean, do you have some examples of things that you see when you're trying to evaluate the pain or an impulse, I guess, scale or viability of a product? Yeah, I think be, I think you hit the pain point, you know, bleeding neck example really well. The other things that I think are really important are how much curiosity is it driving? Like how much is the copy or the story they're telling bring you through the sales page kind of thing? And that's where people are like, oh my gosh, do these long sales pages or long video sales letters actually work? It's like, yeah, they, they do. They're telling a story. They're designed to bring the right person not every person hits that page, but the right person hits that page who it speaks to directly. It's designed to take them through a buying process and overcome all those objections that they're gonna be having in real time as they're going through the letter until they're presented with an offer that's too good to say no to, right? And that, all once all those people, all, all those pieces line up, then you've got the pieces of a converting offer. Yeah, no, and that's perfectly said. And I think one thing that really made me kind of pop in my head when you were talking too, um, and the curiosity side of things is it doesn't always have to be pain oriented, no, right? Yeah. Um, one of the big things that we see are really successful too are just unique new products, things that might be solving solutions that, that already existed, but they're doing it in a completely yeah. different, exciting way. I think, uh, you know, and this is going to date this podcast, so I apologize, but an offer we have that's doing really well on our platform, Java Burn right now, is a fantastic version of that. Because if you see the way, even though it's a weight loss product, but if you see the way the VSL starts, it doesn't lean into, oh my gosh, she was on the floor because her chair had broken. <laughs> and now she laid embarrassed in a room thinking, yeah. I can't believe I've gotten this big. Instead, it's a unique mechanism. It's Hey, would you like your coffee to now not like not only wake you up but make you lose weight, right? Like add this. The thing you're already doing anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like it just leading with that creates. Sorry, my mic moved. <laughs> um, it really does create, uh, you know, a, a different impulse, a different mm -hmm. wow. This this is a problem, but now we could lean with something that's creative and different, and that that's a lot of things. Interesting gadgets. Um, one thing we didn't mention is just gadgets, right? Like we've all seen this impulse buy on maybe a bleeding neck problem or just something that's gonna really drive like, I need that now, which could be done through pricing. In like as seen on TV ads, like yeah, who great. didn't buy or want to buy a slap chop or- um, That's a great example, yeah. Shamu, what, not Shamu, what is it called? ShamWow. ShamWow, yeah. there you go. <laughs> yeah, OxyClean, right? I mean, yeah. or the Flex Seal. The Flex Seal's ads are amazing. You know, if you go through any as seen on TV, like direct response ads, they're a great lesson into what can be a, yeah, it's often anchored around price for their bleeding neck thing or get it now for so cheap, you can't even believe it, all, all that stuff, but how they're actually advertising that product, overcoming those objections and showing and featuring it, it's hard to get a better example. And you can distill those into maybe more branded campaign if you don't wanna go full on that, but yeah. yeah I think 
I think we've kind of hit that pretty yeah. well. Yeah. The one last thing I'll say on it though is um, if you're thinking, well, what's not a good yeah. product? It, the best thing I tell you is your product either too complicated and a really slow sales cycle. So I've seen some like really big items. Like uh, I remember we had um, somebody who was doing a hydroponic grow tower, right? Not only is it huge, mm -hmm. it was a four figure price point. Mm -hmm. um, that's gonna take a lot of time for someone to want to buy that and to think about where am I gonna put it? How am I gonna do this? They're buying the whole unit, not building it or instructions. It's it's all of it, right? So so that's hard to just impulse buy. Um, and, and it was it was a struggle for um, conversions and for a lot of people to wanna buy that just because it doesn't lean to that. Um, the other thing is commodities too. Commodities yeah. are big, like, if you just have a generic turmeric, well, there's a lot of turmeric out there. Um, yeah, what's you better unique about it that's going to solve this pain point for you? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's saying things that I could go down to the grocery store. Sleep aids are a big one that we see now. It's just a lot more challenging to get that stuff to convert um, and get people to move on it really fast. Um, and sleep's actually another good one because most people, even if they're like, oh, I'm not sleeping really well, like especially in American culture, we will <laughs> put up with that for a shockingly You'll just take more coffee in the morning. Time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe yeah. get more coffee. So. Which means you're either selling to someone with like insomnia, which you now can't market compliantly to yeah. without being a drug, right? Yeah. Or you're going another way. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, and I always think too, it's like <laughs> hustle culture and like sleep culture could not be more adverse, right? <laughs> so if you're, if you're on that side, you're like, well, it's good that I only sleep three hours a night and feel like crap all day long. Yeah. So that's how I know I'm working hard. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, so that's, that's when you talk on the product side or on the, the marketing side of things. So let's transition to the next piece, which I think it, it really is what the product is. And, and the biggest thing is margins. Do you actually have the margins to support that? So tell people why that's a common question that I know you and I ask any business owner. It's one of probably the first five questions that we yeah. ask. Um, but why is that so important for performance marketing? Yeah. When I'm asking about margins, like, okay, what's your I'm, well, first, I'm trying to get a sense of their overall funnel. How is it converting? How is this, you know, going back to the marketing piece, how is it converting? Okay, what's your initial price point? What's your average order value? What's your customer lifetime value? And now what's your average profit margin for that average order value? And if it's not above 50% in most cases, right, ideally higher, it could be a struggle because you're now you're kind of anchoring yourself. Either your cogs are high, your cost of goods are high, and you're kind of stuck trying to make a buck on every first in sale just to drive your company forward. But if you don't have high margins, you're going to struggle to pay a compelling commission to affiliates. And that's the bread and butter at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. The more you play, the, I can't even <laughs> say my own quotes. The more you could pay, the more you play. Right. Yeah. And, and that, that's what it comes down to. I wish I could say there's like some big complex conversation we need to have, but no, if you don't have the money to pay out to the affiliates, and to make some money in your back end or whatever it might be, yeah. um, and you're saddled with like, hey, I could offer 40%, it's it's just not gonna work very well, unless the offer converted so well that a lower payout would, would work. Yeah, but unless yeah, unless your offer converts so well that, yeah, then the, the conversions offset the commissions, or you're such a unique selling, a unique product in the market, right, that people are just trying to promote as much as they can because you're the hot product at the time. Instant Pot comes to mind when they were selling like hotcakes right everywhere. He had so many like bloggers and influencers promoting Instant Pot because everyone mm -hmm. had to have one. Now they need to promote all these other products that everyone has an Instant Pot. So, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, but yeah, so if you don't have those pieces, you're really going, okay, what's the competition paying in my market? I'm probably gonna have to match or beat it if I want to win traffic long-term from them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, we're not all gonna invent the next Beanie Baby that goes crazy, right? <laughs> um, which will probably be an NFT. Um, but, but you know, like that that's challenging. Um, so don't necessarily like hope that you develop a unicorn. 
just maybe get a, a high margin product that you could really push out mm-hmm. there, um, especially for acquisitions. So some of your lower margin stuff, not that you can't sell it, but that's going to be great for the back end or an upsell or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's almost, I mean, I, I hesitate to use this term because again, it has a weird connotation with it sometimes, but it's like, what is that self-liquidating offer that you've got, right? If you can use that to build a scaled customer acquisition campaign, you should have other products to increase that lifetime value for the customer long-term. Like look at your hydroponics one, right? Imagine if they had, instead of just trying to sell the hydroponics, if they had a $37 guide on surviving, you know, based on just the stuff you're growing inside your house and stuff. Mm-hmm. And for people who bought that, now you're selling those people the hydroponic system, Yeah. right? And now you've got a self-liquidating offer on the front end with a $37 ebook that has an average order value of 50 plus dollars. Mm-hmm. Right, you can afford to pay to acquire the customers there, and now you're going to upsell them to hydroponic systems and your grow towers and things like that. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So, uh, which man? Side note for any people that are listening to this as it went live or some recent time, with all the pending drought stuff, great time to be selling a hydroponic yeah. offer, right? Like how <laughs> how to grow your own garden in the midst of a drought. Like that that sounds like a good uh, lead gen product there. Um, so the one that actually circles back though, the other example he said was fantastic for impulse buys into the direct response as seen on TV world, because of the way those offers margins are, are listed in their price points, they have very, very small margins. It's really, really slim. And we've talked with a lot of those people in, in, in the industries and like, oh, we want to do affiliates. We want to do affiliates. Well, even though all the marketing lines up, right, everything looks right on paper. At the end of the day, they don't have enough margin in their products to actually pay out affiliates and get them to care. Um, so, so that's just a good example, just to kind of tell you guys, like, if you are not able to pay out enough um, or a decent amount, um, then it's just yeah. not going to work. And we'll like we can probably link to some show notes too, and like what is a good commission and things yep. like that. We're going to do send out some articles there because it's going to depend on your price point, your AOV, your product, your niche, everything like that. It does. It's gray, but it's in general. You got to pay to play. Like yeah, you said. yeah, yeah. And I would tell. I mean, it's it, and you're right. It's so varied because like what a good average payout in say a supplement world versus like you know the the survival niche. Mm-hmm. It's could not be more different. So, um, but yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes for that as well. So, um, with that transitioning though, if say your marketing's impulse driven, it's great. We have the bleeding neck problem. We're getting conversions. People are like, yes, I need this now. Um, and you have healthy margins to get nice payouts yeah. for affiliates. Things are looking really good for you, almost. Awesome. Um, wow. Because although, <laughs> yeah, although you might be set to just make a ton of money, sell a ton of stuff, you need some other things in place. What are what what do you what yeah. do you think that might be, Thomas? What's the another third thing that we need to have? Gosh, it's almost like we wrote notes before the I show. Know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been more fun if we didn't. I know. And I was like, like wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I'll preface this by saying people. I get this question a lot. I imagine you do too. Where it's like, how how long do offers last? Right? How long do they last? And you say, like, oh, they last X months or X years and stuff. And like. I'm, yes, offers do fatigue, but they fatigue because the traffic source gets tired. If you are always expanding to new markets and traffic sources or whirling up fresh material to existing traffic sources, you should have a pretty long cycle. In my opinion, more offers, quote unquote, fail or fatigue because the operation of the business was not built for scale and was not built for longevity or the CEO or entrepreneur behind it did not level themselves up and their teams up to scale with that offer. And that's what I think kills more skilled offers than market fatigue, air quotes. Yeah, no, I, yeah. you're 100% right. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's, well, it's almost like we prepared before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but no, that's a great point and, and beautifully said, and, and it's hard to add too much to it, but um, we'll break down some of those roles. But just to kind of 
uh, try and sprinkle some on there. Um, I think when when I think about it too, it's like marketing is really the range, right? Yeah. Marketing, it's not like it has a time life, it has an eyeball life. Mm -hmm. So there's a certain amount of eyeballs, there's a finite level of eyeballs that could see marketing and have it still be effective. And eventually that number goes down. Yeah. And that's where, like you said, operationally, sometimes people don't, there's lots of things that can make an offer fail, but um, that could be one of them. It could be all of a sudden you don't fulfill your product anymore. So let's start breaking yeah. some of those things down, which I think one of the biggest ones and the easiest ones to screw up, um, but also fix is probably the supply chain side of things. Yeah, Cause I know sellers out there, right? Yeah, yeah I know 2021 and 2022, we love talking Ooh. about supply chain. <laughs> uh, so yeah, let's break that down a little bit. What are some of the problems that you've seen companies run into when it comes to the operation side with supply chain? selling products they don't have. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. could be a problem. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, we'll just keep selling. We'll just fix the problem. Sometimes they have to do just keep the business afloat, but the product is still in China on a boat, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of coming over. And now all of a sudden you've just sold that boat's worth of product. And the next one isn't even out of the warehouse yet or out of the manufacturer's house yet, right? Coming over. And that's where you start really getting over your skis and you really hope nothing disrupts that because now your lead time to get that product to the customer is now extending so if they were expecting it in within a week and now it's two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, you're going to start racking up refunds and chargebacks. And now you're losing all this sales that you just had plus inventory stock, plus all this stuff. So that whole piece, gosh, that's why I tell people start with a white label product. If you can just a test proof of concept, because like I was talking with a guy here in Boise, he had a uh, supplement brand. It took him, he was quoting me, you know, three hundred to $400,000 just to get the product manufactured and selling before they ever got off the ground. And even, wow. And before they even tested the market for it. Were they doing like clinicals? That's crazy. It's a, it's a high, yeah, it's a, like we're saying, it's a, it was a low margin product, um, lower margin than we were used to product, really high quality ingredients, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and he's like, yeah, if I could have done it again, I would have tested it with a white label, proof the concept with a marketing message and then gone out. Right. Yeah. And then go to custom manufacturing and kind of back and do it that way. Yeah. So it's kind of over investing in product, under investing in supply chain and not kind of making sure that you've got that part dialed in. And yeah, this last two years has just thrown things out the window. So it's really t getting on the phone with those manufacturers. If you can't get on a plane and go tour what they're doing, make sure mm -hmm. they're doing what they said they're going to do. You can actually back up the sales volume that you've got. Because right, we've seen the officers scaling now. There's some huge stuff rolling. And you can believe that. Our VP of sales is on the phone with the manufacturer going, you guys got stock? And it's like, yeah, we're good. Okay. <laughs> like, right. We're yeah. making sure things are happening. Yeah. We don't want that drought to happen of this gap in supply chain. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we see backorder stuff. I mean, we've all experienced now empty shelves in our grocery store. So I think the idea to a consumer of having to wait to get something. It's kind of more normal, right? Yeah. It has to feel normalized somewhat. But there still seems to be a lot of impact. So I think two part question for it, I'm mm -hmm. really curious on. First, you mentioned a little bit like chargebacks and refunds, but like what does that situation when you have a lot of back orders and you start getting refunds rolling in, what does that do to an affiliate program and performance affiliates in particular? And the second part is what can I do if I run into that situation? Like I'm too successful, right? The offer's doing better than I thought it would. What can I do to still get sales and maybe not have the like nuclear style fallout of um, what could occur with chargebacks and refunds and, and still be making sales. If you have any thoughts there. Um, so, and I do want to, this is going to speak to the digital sellers as well. Yep. So I think a big part of that is proactive customer service and the right expectations for that customer when they're buying. 
right? If they are thinking they're getting expedited shipping and that to them means one to three business days or something, you're setting yourself up for failure if you're really fulfilling in five to 14. So it's really making that super clear on the order form that this is the shipping method they're getting. This is the timeline for it. I think even I've seen a lot of softening language on those now too, like due to supply chain, this might take longer, right? And then backing that up with the proactive communication you're giving those customers on fulfillment details, right? I think people are used to it, right? I'm super impatient with ship notices. I want to know when I'm getting my product and when it's coming in. Um, but letting those customers know proactively that, hey, your order is shipped. Here's where it is. I've seen some people do some shady things where they're like, oh, yeah, FedEx has it. And all they did is print the shipping label and FedEx hasn't picked it up and they're not going to pick it up for a week. Mm. Right. So the customer thinks FedEx has it. They call FedEx. FedEx is like, no, we haven't picked this up yet. And they're like, wait, but where is it? So you can kind of get a little too proactive maybe. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but no. it's that kind of customer service focus and overly communicating with the customer when it's necessary. Well, I always think of the, the black magic or alchemy, the black magic mm. in the, um, book and in, in oh, yeah. they talk about changing things where the expectation of is the biggest part sometimes of what we really want. Right. So, um, lots of times they're like, Hey, how do we spend all this money? It was the, the subway example. We can make the tram system like five minutes faster and it was going to cost millions and millions oh, of dollars yeah. versus like, why don't you just put estimated arrival times and wait times for the train and make it visible. And that'll be like $10,000. Yeah. And, and, and that made people even more happy than just being like, I hate being on a train. Ah, it's five <laughs> minutes faster. I don't care. So, yeah. um, and I think lots of times too, don't be afraid of a back order. I, it's funny because in marketing, scarcity is a big part. Hey, we don't know when this, if we're going to be able to continue to provide this to you. If you then go to an order form that says it's back ordered, you just proved your scarcity claim. Yeah. You're indeed scarce. You're like, you better sign up on this deal right now. And you can even add something on the order form that says, because if supply chains stay this way, I'm going to have to increase the cost. Now you could secure your, you know, your guaranteed rate by buying right now. Like, I don't care how long it's going to take for me to get to it. People literally buy Kickstarter campaigns and put money <laughs> in for something later. they don't yeah. even know it'll ever turn into anything. <laughs> yeah. And they get a product that wasn't even what they thought, right? So we do this stuff. We see it already happening in the market, but expectation changed that. Mm -hmm. So that was just, I want to see you just say, and then kind of add that plug in. If you run into that problem of supply chain, don't hide it, embrace it, lean into it, and remember that expectations if people buy with proper expectations they'll be you could expect them to be satisfied yeah. so um and, and let's go on to the second part though is what does that do to your affiliate program oh gosh if you're racking up refunds and chargebacks and stuff it really hamstrings you because what's going to happen is affiliates aren't going to trust that you can put forward a good product and because right if i'm a media buyer and i got paid 70% on the sale and all of a sudden my my refund rate for the products i sold for your product are 30% Right now, I'm probably negative on what I was just paying to acquire the customer on Facebook for you. So all of a sudden, you've got media buyers that are getting mad at you because you're now you can't you're not owing them money, but they've just gone negative on their ad spend for your product campaigns. So imagine how tough it's going to be to get them to keep sending traffic for your next offer. It's going to be a tough conversation, right? Yeah. And same, same, I mean, email, I think affiliates are a little less sensitive to that, right? There's less overhead costs that they've got, but they're still going to be mindful of it. And they, especially if it's a personal brand recommending a product and then that customer has a bad experience, it blows back to that quote unquote influencer or that voice of the brand too. So you hear that a lot with, yeah, I promoted that product and it didn't fulfill what they said it would. And now the customers are mad at me, the person who recommended it. So yeah. you have to think about that and what it's doing to your reputation, not just for your customer base, but for your affiliate and your traffic source too. Yeah. I just want to put that plug in there because it is really serious. Yeah. We've, we've seen clients where they, they struggle to ever hit the scale 
of an offer that went really, really big, ran to supply chain issues, tons of refunds, and then affiliates are like, no way, I'm never promoting that again. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Um, huge thing, which one last plug on the operational side that could also be, you say, you say, well, I don't do rev share, do CPA. Oh boy, that would suck. Um, if you did CPA and got a bunch of refunds and chargebacks and returns, um, you're gonna run into a massive cash flow issue, which is mm -hmm. another big piece operationally outside supply chain. We see a lot of companies struggle with. They're, they're really successful, but they haven't managed their cash flow well. So, you know, a successful business on paper with no cash is just not a business. Soon enough, it'll just run out. So um, cash is king and cash flow is super important as well and, and something where you could fail in um, in those situations. So let's now move over to another, I think really, really important part of scaling efficiently, which is having the right people and resources scale. And you kind of already mentioned this a little bit in like with some marketing stuff. So talk a little bit about the yeah. people you need to have in place. This is still operational in my mind, right? It's the operation yeah. and the processes of your team members and who is on your team. So it's the right, like if it's a solopreneur, I, I really believe a solopreneur can get an offer to multiple six to even low seven figures if they're working with a lot of maybe contractors, right? But I think to really scale past that, you need to layer in a dedicated affiliate manager if it's not you. You need an in-house copywriter for email swipes, your own split tests on your thing. You need, you know, potentially media buyer in-house, but that's probably outsourced to affiliate type deals. You need tech support, right, to make sure everything's working together. And what are those teams doing to arm themselves and arm each other for success and your brand for success, right? Is the affiliate, ma is the affiliate manager getting support from the copywriter to get custom swipes to affiliates? Are they getting feedback from the affiliate manager to put new split tests into place on the landing pages. The tech person have alignment with the copywriter to work on new page design and tweaks there. All those things are gonna be working together and be able to scale with that. And like we've seen the biggest brands like on ClickBank, for example, they've got two to three media uh, affiliate managers in house, right? They've got a team of copywriters working on things, right? They start to kind of department, uh, kind of have departments over specific pieces and they're all working together to keep the offers improving, to keep conversions up and to make sure affiliates and traffic are coming in. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, funny, because uh, when you do that and you have that segmentation, you, your offers run so much more efficiently mm -hmm. that the margins can stay high for a lot longer. And why that's so critical is we see a lot of businesses that have amazing gross top line sales. Their net, not so much. And what I mean by that is that they are producing lots of revenue, but because they're operating solo and so individually, they are hemorrhaging cash all over the place. So by the time they actually get to what their net profits are, it's not great. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, just to give you an idea to highlight this as an example, I won't mention the individual, but I was talking to you know a friend of mine, he had a really successful business, started out, uh, made a lot of money, and then the second year, focus just on the operational scaling resources that I want to make sure we have really secure operations. He had significantly less top line, less top line revenue for the past year, 2021. Mm. Um, but his net profit was about the same. Right. <laughs> and so it's like, he's like, like what a great situation to be in because he focused on that operational. And now he's probably resources. poised to grow much faster because of that. And yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. Now, profitable. <laughs> now instead yeah. of kind of chasing the dragon of hoping that you could just ramshackle your way to another winning offer, um, that if it doesn't win, 
is like the end of the world, right? Yeah. Like you're like, oh crap, what am I going to do now? Um, you know, that's not necessarily going to be the case with somebody with those great back end operations. And that's how all send an offers been around for two, three, four years. Yeah. Um, we're seeing the staying it. powers of offers be mm -hmm. pretty long, right? Yeah. That's yeah. So if your team has the right processes too, it's much easier to replace people if they ascend or leave or you have to fire them, right? Yeah. If you have a process for a all starter slot themselves into and then improve that process and document what they're doing. Right, that's how companies really start growing, mm -hmm. and really, because now they're less beholden to people, but can still arm themselves with good people. Mm -hmm. And it's just a matter of finding the right people to slot into and then grow. Yeah, because and that's really the difference between an offer and a business, yeah. right? If if yeah. you want to make an offer that'll make you enough money to not have to work for maybe a decade, and then you're gonna have to find a job again, <laughs> like you you could build a business that way um, or an offer that way. But yeah, w without that back end, that's gonna be a key component. So um, just to recap, guys, again, the three things that we think are key to making sure that your business is ready for performance affiliates. First off, we'll say the marketing, the copy, that you have an impulse, some, something bleeding neck problem, some pain-oriented thing that's gonna get people to buy today. It's gonna have high enough margins to pay those affiliates so they could take all that great traffic that they're generating and put it towards your offer. And you're gonna have the operational efficiencies in the back end through supply chain, through people, and kind of through all that stuff to make sure that you could sustain not just top line revenue, but your bottom line net revenue for years and years to come for your offer. So if those things are in place, I'm gonna tell you what, performance affiliates are gonna be your best friend because you are just gonna acquire customers like crazy. So many you won't even know what to do with, but I think you'll figure it out pretty fast. Yeah. So anything else to add, Thomas? I think we got some great stuff that we covered today. I'll just say if you that feels really overwhelming to you listening to this and you're just like, oh my gosh, I don't have this. It's like, that's okay, right? Like you can work on it. You can build, you can make your marketing better. You can find higher margin products. You can build operations into your business, right? This isn't something where it's like, oh, you don't have this at all. You can't start. No, you can probably start, but it's just that expectation setting going back to it where if you're like hoping for hundreds of sales or thousands of sales a day, that's less likely if you don't have these three things in place. Mm -hmm. So just understanding that and knowing where you're at and probably working with affiliates that are on the same level as you. And it might be slower to start, might be lower volume sales to start, but that's okay, you can still start. Yeah, because I'll tell you once, if you go slow at the beginning, when you're ready to go fast, it'll go really fast. Yeah. Um, that's the thing, I've, I've seen zero to 60 days, um, someone go from no sales to over three million in top line yeah. sales. So it could happen super fast. Um, but you want to be ready so you can handle that speed. Uh, so uh, with that too, if you need some more assistance, we'll have some you know links to some shows um, in the show notes, but there's lots of resources in past episodes with guests, with Thomas and I talking, that can actually highlight all these things for you yeah. in much more depth, especially on the operational side with each individual role and what they should be doing and blah, 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 blah. Um, so you have plenty of resources to do excellent with this. Um, and in that vein, so if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe to the podcast, make sure to rate, review leave comments too if you're thinking hey this is helpful and i watched some of the episodes but i feel like this is the key component i just need can you tell me more about that um, we do have some exciting things we're working on as well so continue to listen um, until next time um, have a good one happy scan hey guys